Hello, friend. Welcome to the Happy Family Club. We're delighted to have you join us. Our mission is to help you have a happier, stronger family. We do that by bringing you the world's greatest experts in family, marriage, parenting, and relationships. We interview them to discover their secrets, their strategies, their techniques, and bring them to you so that you can cherry pick exactly what you need right now to have more success and more joy in your family. And if you enjoyed this interview, we encourage you to share it with your friends and your family and come on to the happyfamilyclub.com and see if you can find more information that's going to help you and your family be happier. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy the interview. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Happy Family Club podcast. We are so excited to have you here with us today. And we have a guest that Margie and I have been, we literally been anticipating this for about two months because the first time we scheduled it, we had a total storm and a power outage here at our house and we had to, we had to redo it. So, so now we've been waiting with bated breath, but we are delighted to have Katie Kimball with us. And Katie, I'm going to let Margie tell some more about you, Katie. But what I love is, is like, you're like this national or should we say international spokesperson for kids eating healthy and a number of other cool things like safe skin and sun, sunscreen, which we probably won't talk about today, but I mean, you got some awesome stuff. So you're just, you're just, a, just an amazing individual and what you've yep. done for children is incredible. So mm -hmm. Margie, you want to tell a little more about well, and Also, she's a former teacher uh -huh. and uh, it shows through your classes, <laughs> your courses, two-time TEDx speaker, writer, mom of four children. It's amazing. She also founded the Kids Cook Real Food e-course. Which we're going to talk about some more, which is a, which yeah. is an amazing course. Our children are going through We've it. already yeah. been going through it. Our, our kids have. And it was actually recommended by Wall Street Journal as the best online cooking class for kids, which is really cool. And she has a blog, The Kitchen Stewardship, that helps families stay healthy without going crazy yep. <laughs> in this world today. And I love your mission, Katie, of connecting families around healthy food, teaching children how to cook and helping families um, instill these all important life skills in their children. So when they grow up, they can they can move forward and be healthy. So. Yeah. And I think it's exci especially exciting for us because I know I grew up and Margie's acquired it, but, but in our family, cooking is the love language. I mean, this is like food is the love language, man. We just... We just dig on this. So this is amazing. We're excited. So Katie, welcome to our show. We're so excited to have you. This is so great, Joshua and Margie, because I think, Joshua, you are the only person who uses as many exclamation points and all caps as I do in emails. Yes. So this is going to be a right. super high energy discussion. Very, very good. So um, I want to start off and ask the question that we love to ask, and that is, you know, what do you think is a key ingredient to family happiness, to increasing family happiness? But before we do that, I got to say, it's really cool that you've like dedicated your life to helping kids cook well. And there's not a lot of people running around in the world doing that. So what's your backstory, Katie? I mean, what got you to this point to where this became such a passion and you became so good at it? What, what happened there? Straight up desperation, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. Maybe. You guys know, like every time you add a child to the family, there's more mouths to feed. You spend more time in the kitchen. And for me, I hit the point at four to my my end, your middle, um, mm -hmm. where I just felt like I was spending so much time in the kitchen feeding these beautiful people that I was not even seeing. 
you know, it, it was, there was a great imbalance there. And so for me, the teaching kids to cook piece started out really, really practically of just, I needed to figure out how to share that responsibility among the whole family. And also my oldest was 10. So he had just sort of passed that halfway point of halfway to 18 years old. And I thought, you know, I had had a real family value, family culture of eating healthy since I had started writing about that in 2009. And, you know, I, I'm a lifelong learner, so I was constantly learning more about what's healthy and what's not and integrating that into our meals. But I thought, you know, even if my kids have a habit of eating healthy, if they don't know how to cut up produce, when they leave my house, it all falls apart, right? You can't do without the implement. You can't eat without the, pre the preparation. So there were, for me, it was kind of these two very practical goals for my children's future and for our present as a family at the time. And one of the reasons that I'm now so much more passionate about teaching all kids to cook, not just mine, is that it became so far beyond the practical. Once, once I started really getting them into the kitchen and once we started, you know, it was very, a very quick jump for me to look at my audience at Kitchen Stewardship and realize that I had been hearing the same complaint year after year after year. Katie, I really want to get healthy. I really want to do this, but this is a huge hill to climb. I was never even taught to cook, right? Like yeah. forget being healthy. I don't know how to make biscuits out of a can. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it was just a big, big mountain. And, and I thought, gosh, if we as the, the parent generation are not comfortable in the kitchen, we certainly are not teaching our kids. And the cycle will just continue in 20 or 30 years. Our kids will be saying, oh, man, I wish I could get healthy, but I was never taught to cook. So I thought this has got to stop. Like other moms and dads need what I'm doing. And then we started seeing the additional benefits. You know, we, we call them the three C's, the connection, the confidence, and the creativity. And just the, the incredible rocket fuel that teaching kids to cook adds to pretty much anything we want them to do, right? We, we need our kids to have more self-esteem in this poor, broken world. Man, give them an authentic skill like nourishing a human body. Boom, yeah. right? Like that is their confidence bucket filling up very quickly. We need connection. You know, we need to get off our screens. We need to be with our family kitchen, right? Like that's where we're working shoulder to shoulder toward a common goal. So it's it's just a beautiful thing. And, and the benefits have surprised me and spill out far, far beyond the kitchen and the food. So awesome. Okay. Well, I love how it started with desperation and has now gone to like, oh my gosh, like we could actually change the world being in the kitchen together. Right. And, and it is so, so very true. So, you know, you, you talked about, we're going to talk some more about this and I'm making notes as we go over the connection, the confidence and the creativity. And you're right. I mean, do do youth need that more than ever? I'm like, like yes, wow. Um, also, I was thinking, you know, as our children of all, our older children, as they've gotten older and gone off on missions for our church and then off to college and been on their own, invariably, they all say like, you know, they have roommates and they're like, mom, dad, like our roommates have no idea how to cook. Like, no, they, they can cook like fry, a fried egg, maybe right? Pizza toast. Pizza toast. They can do pizza toast and that's it with some butter on it. And that's it. And yeah, it's, it's a, a real easy. Google search that college students are searching how to boil water. Like that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Yes. That, that is not a Google one. Okay. So again, I want to get into your, your idea about, you know, how to have happier families. And, and I think you're already getting there, but even before that, 
it seems like there's major societal and social ramifications for multiple generations not understanding how to cook. And I wonder, I mean, you're, you're deep in this world, and I wonder what you see there is some repercussions from this lack of the basic skill of being able to prepare a meal. That is such a good question, and I'm not sure if anyone's ever asked it in quite that way, but my my brain is just spinning because there are so many both physical and mental and social, right? Let's make that whole triangle problems that happen. So when we talk about not cooking in the physical realm, we're farming out our nourishment to food processing companies who have no interest in our well-being, right? Yeah. If someone else is making food, it's got a lot of extra ingredients in it. You cannot find alone your own kitchen. And so there's, you know, we, we see just looking at statistically things like diabetes, heart disease, stroke, cancer, there are a million reasons for that, right? We're very complex human beings. But if anyone wants to tell me that food has no impact, I'm going to laugh in their face because that's ridiculous, right? Yeah, yeah. All the time. It's literally the building of every cell in our body is something that we have consumed through our mouth. And so if we're consuming food that is progressively generation after generation, more processed, less whole food, less wholesome, going to have an effect on our physical health. And so there's, you know, with epigenetics that what, you know, my grandmother did, the choices my grandmother made have, have adjusted the genes of our family, passed down to my mom, right? Yeah. Passed down to me. And so it's almost as if each individual effect to our physical health is then, then multiplied epigenetically for better or for worse. In this case, I would say for worse. And that immediately yeah. spills into the second leg of that, that three-legged stool, which is the mental health benefits when we, you know, when we prepare food for other people, first of all, that is a huge boon to ourselves. You know, I talked about the confidence, the the ability to be of service to human beings, I think is a lost art. And I think it's so important, right? We've got able to, and like that's how we're designed to be interconnected. So making food with love, serving it with love. And your kids knowing that, like, you put a lot into that meal, right? As opposed to just eating out. I still remember this is way back, but one of our early members, she was a she's a college professor and joined our class teaching her kids to cook. And she had this moment where she realized, holy cow, we are eating out all the time. This I don't know. Oh, how oh, this no. Like I fell down a slippery slope. This is absolutely not my values. But it is currently my reality, and I'm not okay with that. So she presented to her two girls, who I believe were seven and nine at the time, that they were going to do a 30-day eat-at-home challenge just within their family. Like it wasn't any <laughs> influencer thought of this. She was like, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened. I don't like what I'm seeing. We're going to do 30 days, no eating out. The children lost it. <laughs> like completely <laughs> lost it because they were so habituated that eating yeah. out is the way to go. And so the mom really had, you know, an uphill battle to get the kids on board, but because they were learning to cook, they had so much fun ultimately, uh, like deconstructing and recreating restaurant meals. And they were big. I mean, they had great palates, like sushi and Asian food and all this stuff. And, yeah. and the parents realized that there's that, you know, there's a, again, the mental health benefits and the social benefits of being together, of cooking for one another, instead of the top down, like letting other people yeah look for you and just, and, you know, pouring that love into a meal, like you cannot get that in a restaurant and a store. So I think that's so, so important. And again, the society 
that's when we talk about it, the tiny society of our family, or in your case, the medium sized society of your family, <laughs> a little larger than average, which I love. I'm just, I love seeing big families so much because there's so much good that can happen with the, that interconnection, interconnectivity. Um, but two, when you, when you can cook, then you can continue to like give that gift out, right? When other moms in our community have a baby, we're bringing them a meal. When people are sick, we're bringing them a meal, you know, for the good of our society. So that's, yeah. So when you think about the generations, continually just allowing others, you know, to cook for us and paying them to do it, probably great for the economy, not so great for the family, physical, mental, and social. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So those are, those are incredible ramifications and the benefits you're talking about, or, you know, the positive and negative on, on those three major stools from our health to our mental well-being to societal issues are really so powerful. And and we see this happening, and I love your ideas about, you know, we share that and we serve other people. Uh, it's amazing how many um, children don't understand what goes into a meal and how much mom and dad are actually giving to them. And they start to feel entitled. And, they, and, and you know, it's this sense of like, well, you know, of course I just get this. And that spills over into lots of different areas of society in their life. And some people have a rude awakening when it's like, well, actually you're not entitled. You know, somebody had to do that. So I and I love the opposite of the value and the characters in it. So okay, um, there's a lot of stuff I would dive into there, but let's let's get to your. I want to hear the plain answer to your question to the question about um, what creates greater happiness inside of a family. So let's hear that, and then we'll dive deeper in a couple of things because I want to get some practical suggestions for our listeners too. Mm -hmm. For sure, it's such a sweet focus. The Happy Family Club. You know, how can we be happier? I'm a, I'm a two scoops, like two flavors of ice cream on cone kind of girl, you know, when we go out. And so I have to have a two answer. I can't just choose one. Um, but that's, Good. that's families, right? Like <laughs> we're so complex. And so I, I would say that the, the two principle is, is honestly to look at your family as a team, which would mean raising expectations for your kids. Um, and at the same time, allowing a lot of grace in the baby steps. So I've been known oh, since know. way back in 2009, when I started kitchen stewardship, um, I, my, one of my original taglines was grace, the baby steps and just baby stepping our way to better health. Because if we set impossible goals, as soon as we don't reach them, we tend to give up and then there's no forward motion. Right. And so whether it comes to teaching kids to cook or parenting or, you know, changes to make your family healthier in any way. It's got to be those baby steps, but it's also got to be a team. Yeah. Okay. I Yay. I love, I love both scoops of the ice cream. Yep. That's beautiful. <laughs> very good. Very, very nice. So this, you know, seeing the family as a team and grace in the baby steps. Okay. So give us some uh, practical ideas. Let's go to the baby steps first. Like, what does that look like in terms of working with children and especially in cooking and teaching the cooking? What are some examples you can families. give? Yeah, in the families. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what does that look like in terms of the grace in the baby steps? People are so overwhelmed right now by their to-do lists. Like we can barely even function. So when I think about cooking, well, what is cooking? It's really a collection of tiny little skills, right? Measuring a teaspoon, measuring flour and how that's different than fat. Measuring water is different yet because it's a different, you know, it's a different tool. And so when you really break things down into the, the little baby steps, something like making pumpkin muffins is like seven or eight skills. So I wouldn't even say like, don't put teach your kids to cook on your list. Don't even put 
teach kids pumpkin muffins on your list. That's seven things. Boom, boom, your brain's going to explode. You're overwhelmed. Just put, teach your four-year-old to measure a teaspoon of salt, right? Yeah. Like how simple can we break that down? Can you do that today, moms and dads? Yeah, probably. And if you don't, you can do it tomorrow. That's part of the grace in the baby steps. And so, you know, back when I started teaching families to be healthy without going crazy, it was don't do everything at once. Like choose one ingredient that you are not no longer in favor of because you have more knowledge. When we know better, we do better. Just choose one thing and change it this week. And if you do one change a week, like not even one change a day, right? One new habit, one ingredient you'll no longer buy per week. By the end of a year, that's 52 baby steps. That's actually really significant. You've just got to give yourself time you know, to build it up without giving up and overwhelm always that's it's those little tiny steps that make a big difference. And the nice part is, is you can make, you can make those uh, yummy muffins with 52 baby steps. You don't even need that many. (laughs) (laughs) You only need seven. So, so, you know, in in a couple of weeks, you could be whipping out those muffins like nobody's business, baby. So it's good. So I, I love that very, very practical application. And, and you know what's interesting is, is that um, psychologists teach us that this is the exact process that human beings use to overcome fears. Like if we have something that we feel is, you know, huge, scary for us, if we look at the whole big thing, it's terrifying. Hey there, it's Margie. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Yeah, I hope you know that you can go to thehappyfamilyclub.com and see many other interviews and get a whole bunch of other resources, materials, free things, paid things, all kinds of stuff. There's an entire membership there where you get exclusive access to all of our best tools and resources. Our mission is to bring you the world's best resources and insights from the world's best experts so that you can have a happier family and have more joy. So go check it out, thehappyfamilyclub.com. Now let's get back to the interview. I remember years ago, I'm, I'm, I'm not very comfortable with heights and we went on a cruise with the family. And you know, the first thing that the kids wanted to do was climb the rock climbing wall. I'm like, <laughs> Like, what this all, there's all this other stuff to do. We don't have to go on the wall. <laughs> uh, but they wanted dad to go with him, you know? And, and, and if I looked at the wall as a whole, I literally got sick. But when I got up close to the wall, I realized if I just put my hand a couple inches above my head and grabbed that hold, it was fine. And then if I grabbed the next little hold, it was fine. The next little hold, the next little baby steps. And I think that, by the way, I did make it. I rang the bell and I did not die. So it was good. <laughs> And we got some great pictures. And we got great pictures of me sweating to death, but it's all right. Um, but the point is, is I love what you're saying is, is that we don't have to overwhelm ourselves or think that it's a colossal, huge effort to teach our children how to cook effectively and to create those, those, that confidence and that creativity and, you know, these, these abilities in our children. We can do it tiny little steps at a time, which is so powerful what you're saying, Katie. So, and it's instilling in the children that confidence that confidence level that they can, they can do it. They can make those little steps and progress and, and one day learn how to do a whole meal. (laughs) And you know, every step gets easier too. I'm assuming you found maybe not because you got higher, but on your rock wall, you know, psychologists (laughs) also identify what they call the confidence competence loop. And so it just means if you are competent in something, you know how to do X 
it gives you some confidence and confidence feels so good, right? The endorphins get yeah. flowing, which makes you want to come back another why, you know, learn another skill. And that gives you more competence, which raises your confidence. Clearly, they did not think about the tongue twister they were creating when they no, gave they that one. Right. <laughs> the good news for parents is that if we can just sort of get that started, get that snowball effect going of the competence confidence loop, it gets easier every time you want your kids to learn a new skill. It's really powerful. Yeah, exactly. Because if you teach measuring on one thing, then it's easier to translate that. It's like, well, I did a teaspoon, but... A cup. Okay. Well, I'm scraping this off. So, the, so you build on that and build on that. It's beautiful. So, um, what have you seen as a good place for parents to start with this, these baby steps? And then I want to talk about the team aspect here in just a minute because I got I got two specific questions on that. But where, where's a good place for parents to start? Is it just somewhere in the kitchen? Is it with other tasks around the house? What have you seen as a great starting point? Well, I mean, I would say the kitchen. I'm the kids cooking teacher. So yeah. <laughs> that was an easy one. But in, in general, you got to start where your kids are. So if you've got a three or four year old, it is measuring a teaspoon of salt. If you've got a 12 year old, they're gonna, you're going to get the eye roll. <laughs> if yeah, you yeah. say, I'd like to teach you to measure a teaspoon of salt. So it's what's going to be motivating. You know, what does your, what is your child asking for? If they're below five, they probably are intrinsically motivated and asking mama, yeah. can I help dad? Can I do what you're doing? Right. And so you need to use for for the little ones. I say use the yes and because it's actually a really bad time to teach kids anything, even a baby step as simple as a teaspoon of salt right before dinner. Like that is the stressful hour. Assuming that most people have places to go after dinner, you are time limited. And so to invite a child into the kitchen for a stressful experience, I don't know. Common sense just says that's probably not the best idea. That's going to teach them the kitchen as a stressful place. So you say yes and Mama, can I help? Yes. And I'm going to teach you this tomorrow after morning snack, honey, right? Plan it in for a time when you don't have a time pressure. Ideally, I always say after snack, after lunch, after breakfast, because they're well-fed and they're already in the location. Nice. Much happier. They're ready to slide right into, you know, a kitchen skill. With, um, with the older ones, they probably are not asking to help anymore right. unless you have these exceptional kids who somehow held on to that. But with the older ones, it's how can we motivate them? So it's usually something dangerous or something they can show off. Right? Right. So, <laughs> so we want to start with, with knives, of course, yeah. <laughs> the big ones, yeah. or cooking for a crowd. Like if you're going to a party or a potluck or something, trying to get those big ones pulled in so that the praise is genuine and not even created by you. All you yeah. have to do is say, oh, like, guess who made the guacamole? It was actually yeah. Paul. I didn't do this. All the people at the potluck, they rain the praise on the child and that raises the confidence and, you know, causes them to hopefully want to come back. Um, but I love, I do love starting with knives just because they're so practical. They're so necessary. Like, what do you make that doesn't use a butter knife or a paring knife or a chef's knife, you know? And, and they're really motivating for kids because it's so cool and so dangerous, right? <laughs> um, which is scary for parents. But if you implement the skills properly, it's actually not that dangerous, yeah. but it's highly motivating. So I would love to give uh, your audience, our members' favorite class is the knife skills class. I don't know if you've gotten to that one, um, but if they go to kidsgoodgirlfood.com slash happy family club, they can get that free 10-minute knife safety lesson for kids ages 2 yes. to 12. Because awesome. that's kind of one of my things is we teach the same the ways to hold the knife and ways to hold the food with that butter knife on our two-year-olds and that chef's knife on our 12-year-olds. That So first of all, that's very generous of you. I did not know you were going to do that. And that is awesome. And I can tell. So anyone listening to this, 
the reality is that knife skills thing is awesome. It teaches, it breaks down. It's such very, and we have gone through it just so you know. Yeah, we have. Uh, so, but it breaks down these, these complex knife that might be dangerous otherwise into very simple, practical ways. And Katie, you give these cool little analogies and little, um, um, like paraphrases, right? Kind of like uh, uh, little sayings that go along with each thing, and it's awesome. So, thank you for that gift. It's cool. So, we'll make sure to post that. Um, and I think that I, our I, children still do the bell pepper trick that you have <laughs> with the <laughs> knife. It's <laughs> great. Slice the pepper, throw the core away. It's beautiful. So, um, I, I really, really appreciate that. Now, let's go to the teamwork because I'm looking at time here, but let's go to the teamwork thing for just a minute. Um, Teamwork's an amazing thing because it requires us to kind of participate with everybody in the room without, you know, fight. As soon as you get contention and wars and battles going on, teamwork's done, right? Yep. That's like, you're, you're now on the battlefield. The teamwork's out the window. But you have this common goal of you want to eat something delicious at the end. So you're a little more motivated, right? Well, so I want to hear your insights and, and I want to hear it from two perspectives. One, how do you teach the children? that collaborative teamwork environment and two, which I think I run across more. And that is how do we teach the parents to let go? Um, cause I, cause I, you know, it's like, um, I talked to somebody the other day about, you know, the, well, Enoch was our son, Enoch, he's 11. Uh, he made a pie and chocolate chip cookies for this church activity. And same thing happened. He made it. Everybody loved it. The confidence poured on. But one of the, I was telling the parents that he did it and they were like, how did you let your kid loose in the kitchen? Like, I could never do that. They make a mess and they spill things and they don't measure exactly right. And it's not perfect. And, you know, it's like, so, so number one, how do we encourage the children for that collaborative effort? And how do we encourage the parents to create it and to allow it and to let go? What's been your experience? Well, I'll start backward because I just want to reflect what your your church friend said is how do you possibly do that and i just think how can you possibly not because at right. 18 we're going to let them go yeah right right so i think it does a real disservice both to the kids and to us as parents who kind of want to do a good job at the end of the day to like not let them do anything for 18 years and then and then what do we boot them out the door and say see you good luck like that is a really <laughs> that there's no baby steps to that They've got to learn everything all at once. And so I would much rather them have failures and make mistakes under my roof when the stakes are not that high. I'm there to back them up. I'm there to talk them through it. Right. And, and, you know, the same parents who say, I could never do that. Um, and I just talked to one actually last week, I was volunteering at third in third grade at my kid's school. And I mentioned, I met another mom who had five kids, right? I have four. Yeah. She had five and I was just kind of joking with her like, oh, and, and she worked part time as a PE teacher. Yeah. I said, wow, so you don't don't sleep much, huh? <laughs> she right. like, yeah, it's, it's a lot of people to feed. I mean, somehow we got on food. She didn't know what I did. She still, I don't think does. <laughs> but She's going to come across your blog here a little bit and be like, what? I know. That's what I was talking to. Yeah, I know, that. right? And she, she said, um, well, you know, feeding them all is really hard. And I said, well, one thing I love about having, you know, so many kids and they're getting older is that I've got three kids now who make one meal a week. And she kind of stopped yeah, and looked at me and she said, oh, I, I don't think that would ever be 
happening in my household. <laughs> there was just such a, oh, there was such an angst and a hesitation there. And I wanted to be like, honey, let's step into the hall and have a chat, right? Yeah. Like, you can do this. And I'm like, no, we have to help with the third grade craft that is meaningless. But <laughs> um, I, I just, I do, I just want to sort of grab all the parents by the shoulder and look them in the eyes and say, listen, you are the same parents who are stressing out and being overwhelmed and complaining about all that you have on your plate and the mental load, you know, that especially as women, we carry and all this, all the stuff you see on social media, like, and probably complaining about your kids acting entitled. I, I appreciated that you used that word already too, Joshua. What in the world? Like we, <laughs> we need to create a culture where our kids can step up, where we can raise those expectations and are they messy? Yes. Am I messy when I open a bag of flour in my kitchen? Yes, I am. <laughs> like, no, no one is not messy in the kitchen. And so I will say that the silver lining of that is that I, I hate dishes, worst chore ever, but I actually do dishes with joy when my kids have cooked. Like it's a whole yeah. different feel, right? Mm -hmm. Completely transforms the hated chore of doing dishes. So there, there are very few, very small, they feel big, but they're very small and consequential reasons not to let your kids cook. There are massive, massive motivating reasons to do it, namely their, their end, right? Their own adulthoods being a little bit smoother and easier because they already know some of the skills they need. Your family life, you know, being a little easier. But so that's that, that plays right into that family responsibility. Yeah. How do we get kids on board? I will say it's a constant work in progress. And I'm sure you know that too, where you're constantly like, oh, we got to re-motivate and remind. And I think, I think a couple of good steps include building a culture of gratitude in your mm -hmm. house, prioritizing family dinners so that you are feeling connected. Um, and, and just making sure too, that you can give them little anti-entitlement gifts. Those would be my three. So culture of gratitude means you always thank the person who made the food, whether it's the adult, whether it's the child, you know, if it's the child, obviously you try to like pump that up a little bit more <laughs> yeah. yes. sure that every person in the house is thanking the person who cooked. That's huge. That's really important to know that we acknowledge their effort. Yeah. The, the family dinners can't be understated, right? Yeah. Research tells us that more so than time spent in school and time spent on homework, family dinners fuel academic success. First of all, family dinners are a protective factor against drugs and alcohol, suicidal thoughts, depression. Like if, if you want your teens to not worry you at night, right? If you want to sleep when your kids are teenagers, yeah, family dinners are the most effective thing you can implement. Good news, baby step fashion. The research proven benefits start at two meals a week. Amazing. So it does not, yes, five is better. Great. But you don't have to be like, oh, great. Katie Kimball just told me I have to eat dinner every single night with all my kids who are so busy and have packed schedules. No, you got 21 meals a week. It doesn't have to be dinner, P.S. Yeah. Two meals a week is where the benefits start. They only grow from there. And it is so important to have that time to, and and hopefully to have an unstressful time, which is one of the reasons I got into picky eating and did a lot of picky eating training because parents were like, yeah, but Katie, the dinner table is horrible. Yeah. Right? My kids don't eat the healthy food. So that's, that's kind of a whole other topic, but I don't want to forget my anti-entitlement gifts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really, really cool factor when kids are taking responsibility, right? For example, my kids, um, three of the four, my youngest just turned nine this week. 
three of the four have packed their own lunches for quite a few years. And yeah. so there's definitely no entitlement to no. right. but take another, you know, any other 12 year old or a 15 year old in modern American society, most of them like lunches just kind of show up whether they're yeah. purchased or packed. For my kids, that's not the case. And so I get to give them little gifts when they're, you know, if I have a little extra time, I'll make a piece of a lunch and put a post-it on the fridge for my early risers, right? Yeah. Or, or especially if I kind of read that, I mean, my daughter's a sophomore right now. She She's a very high excelling student when a perfectionist, but it's yeah. also really hard for her. Right. Like mm -hmm. she still say that I hate that school is so hard for me. And of course it was easy for the brother above and the brother below. So she's right. like, oh, it's so hard. So anyway, her stress level can get really, really high. When I feel that I will figure out little things I can do. I've been making her bed like a couple of yeah. times, just because I know that that will like settle her when she walks into her room, even when the rest of the room is kind of a mess and it's driving her nuts, I can make her bed. Right. I can put frozen blueberries in a yogurt, stick it in the fridge and put a little post-it on it. This is for you. Right. That's the anti-entitlement gift where now instead of the kids expecting it, you know, it's, it's extra and it's a little show yeah. of love. And it is a, well, I, and I would say a huge show of love. I mean, we know, like I've seen lots of research on this too. It's like when someone's not expecting something, the levels of love and connectivity they feel when it's a surprise is off the charts. This is why we love birthday surprise birthday parties so much. It's like, didn't expect this and look at all this. Or we love the, you know, the little gift at Christmas or the the surprise date night. You know, I, I've had a, I'm gonna pat myself on the back here, but I love, I love grabbing Margie and saying, Oh, let's go out to dinner. And then instead of dinner, we go away for the weekend, or or I stick her on a plane, or we go on a cruise, or you know, we've done all these fun things. It's like this is romantic time. And Margie enjoys those way more than I think you do. Of course. Yeah, okay, definitely. she does. Okay. <laughs> at any rate, but but it's a surprise thing. And, and I think we're now in, we're, we're touching in the realm of parent child relationship, especially with teenagers. And there's so many, there's so many, like, you know, like these, these little sayings that people say, it's like, Oh yeah, the terrible twos and terrible teens. Oh, my kids are just a mess. And, and these friction relationships and stuff. And what you're talking about, Katie is, and what's amazing. It's like, look, teach them how to cook eliminate the entitlement mentality surrounding that particular piece. And now we can give gifts of love that just strengthen the relationship. And the, and the inverse is true as well. If we keep giving them stuff when they have entitlement mentality, we're damaging the relationship every time because they feel, they feel more and more entitled, less and less grateful. They start seeing you with contempt and it just spirals downward. And what you're talking about is this upward, beautiful spiral. So I love it. It's really, really cool. These just the connection. Yes, I, And I've never heard that, the anti-entitlement gifts. It's such a beautiful <laughs> phrase. I'm going to quote you for the next three times I speak and then I'm stealing it. So, okay. All right. <laughs> just kidding. I'll quote you every time. It's beautiful. Great. Um, I want to roll back to something. Um, and then we're we're probably getting close to needing to to wipe up or round up here. But I want to get back to something you said, and that was um, you didn't say it exactly like this, but I want to hear your your thoughts on the relationship between involvement and preference, right? Mm -hmm. um, involvement and preference, because you touched on picky eaters, and uh, and we found that our children do have preferences, but gosh, when they're in the kitchen cooking with us. Um, 
a lot of these stereotypes, like, for example, I'm not sure our children would ever think about going to a restaurant and ordering the quote unquote kids meal, right? The macaroni and cheese, pizza and hot dog, right? <laughs> Isn't that the kids meal everywhere in the world for every restaurant? Like, what is this? It's anyway. permutations of cheese and bread. I, I know if you exactly. look at every one. Yeah. Fake fats, fake carbohydrates. Anyway, I won't get into that. Um, <laughs> So, so I would love to hear your thoughts on that relationship between ownership and preference and what happens in not only to the child, but the dynamics between you and the child in that situation. Yeah, it is. It's a relationship both between ownership and preference. And I like how you stated that, but also exposure, exposure. and preference and pressure and lack of pressure. There's, oh gosh, there's so many, there's so many good reasons. If you have a child who you would label as a picky eater, by the way, I would counsel you not to use that phrase, especially in front of your kid. Yeah. Uh, but if you might label your kid as a picky eater. There's so many reasons to get them into the kitchen. And, and the first is that removal of pressure. So when, when our kids are at the table, and this is why some family dinners are very stressful. And again, one of the reasons I got into picky eating training and training other parents how to, how to solve the picky eating problem, because I know if the kid's not eating and the parent is stressing out about it, they, they say that parents of picky eaters are like as stressed as parents of kids with cancer. Yeah, uh, crazy. It seems crazy, but when your kid isn't eating well, you think like your brain kind of runs off by itself to, oh my gosh, now they're going to be sick and underweight and they're going to die. Yeah, right. <laughs> it goes really fast, doesn't really it? Fast. It's like, wow. Yes. Really fast. And, and so we're very concerned. And then we act from our stress, right? We speak from our stress. We say things like, if you eat that broccoli, I'll give you your dessert or just eat three bites or like all, there's all sorts of sort of subversive ways that we are pressuring kids to eat. And that doesn't work. It's a lose-lose situation because technically we can't follow through. We cannot respectfully, at least make a child's jaw move and force them to swallow. Exactly. Right. So it's a lose-lose situation. And so what parents need to do is remove that pressure. There's all sorts of strategies for the table, but I'll, I'll try to stick to your question. When kids are preparing food, there is no pressure to eat. There's not even perceived pressure because if kids have ever been pressured to eat, the moment food hits their plate at the table, the perceived pressure that they will now have to eat it is yeah. there. Even if you're like using all the right words as a parent. So you get them in the kitchen, the, pr the pressure is lifted, and they can interact with food with a little more curiosity and a little less fear. That's massive. And then the exposure is also massive. The you know brain science tells us that each child needs, each person needs a specific sort of amount of exposure to a certain food. And for a lot of kids, maybe it's two or three times, right? You're feeding your toddler. They say, oh, don't give up on peas after the first try, Right. Give it, give them 10 tries or whatever. But for some of our kids, especially highly sensitive kids who maybe they feel their tags a little, a little more scratchy than other kids, their sound is a little more overwhelming, you know, or, or the visual stimulation of especially like mixed foods on a plate, it can really overwhelm some kids. And so if they're coming in with a little bit of a roadblock, a little bit of a physical or psychological roadblock, it's particularly difficult for those kids to make friends with their food. So their exposure bucket, as I call it, is a yeah. lot deeper. It, it might need a hundred exposures or 150 right. exposures. That's a lot of little pieces of broccoli to put on the plate. <laughs> and, right. and so what's really important to know is that every exposure counts. It doesn't have to touch their lips. So taking a kid to a farmer's market and having them pick up that produce and put it into a basket, boom, yeah. that's one exposure for every type of vegetable or fruit. You know, having them wash it, even little kids, if you don't want your, you know, four-year-old with a paring knife, 
they can wash those vegetables. They're not nervous about it because there's no pressure to eat and they're still getting the exposure. Then hopefully, you know, they can cut them, they can cook them, they can serve them. So you could get up to seven or eight exposures to a food in a single meal. Talk about shortening the time for that process, right? For that exposure bucket to fill up. So that's incredibly important. And then the ownership is really powerful, right? We, We are beings who like to close our loops Yep. In general, we do not love open loops and kids are the same way. So when they start that process in the kitchen, not only are they sort of getting that exposure, there's not a little bit of brain science there, I'll tell you in a second, but they're, you know, they've opened the loop of the food and the only way to really close the loop is to give it a taste. So yeah. that can be highly motivating. Plus, you know how, you know how I think food always tastes better out at a restaurant, like to us. Yeah. That's actually because when you're the cook, you've already in a way inoculated your senses to that food. Uh-huh. You've been smelling it for a while. You might have licked your fingers, you might have tasted it. And so when you get to the table, you're like a couple steps down the taste bud pathway. Right. Yes. So that's a bummer for us as adults. And it's why when other people cook for us, not only is it that inpouring of love, but it's also the first step on the taste bud pathway. We're like, oh, everything, you know, the food tastes so much better. For picky eaters, that effect is actually really helpful. If they're in the kitchen and they're getting a little bit inoculated and, you know, in a way it's like boring the system to them, when they come to the table, it's not so like big flavors. It's not so overwhelming because they've already had that, those touch points with it. So getting, yeah, getting the picky eaters. I I teach parents all sorts of strategies at the table and they're really good. But then I always have to say, but the supercharging process is get them in the kitchen. kitchen (laughs) Yes. And I think too, like I, I've, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about, especially when you're teaching a child, the process of learning to cook and engaging with food is quite linear. I mean, when I cook now, I've got five or six things going on because I like to be sort of a wild and crazy cook, right? No way. But but for a child, it's like, okay, first let's chop these vegetables, you know, and and it's one vegetable. We're not chopping the broccoli and the carrots and the qualify all at the same time we're doing this one by one and i think that for the what you're saying those exposure points it's also not overwhelming process when you drop a plate of food down in front of a kid it's like especially those sensitive ones we i'm laughing because a couple of our children the same way it's like if they had tags on their shirts it's like they go nuts like that thing's got to be cut out they're so kinesthetic learning and engaged right so um all right well, well, we had, well, we had one of our children that just would, did not want to eat, like you said, a picky eater. And we said, Hey, why don't you make dinner for him? <laughs> and we had progressed to that point where that he could cook a full meal. And so he started cooking dinner every night and he could cook what he liked to eat <laughs> and he loved it. Yeah. And yeah, it, it really made a difference for him. I, I think in his association. And his food. palate expanded exponentially. Oh, yeah. Right. And now he'll eat Mexican, whereas he used to not eat Mexican. (laughs) It's so good to hear like that case study, right? Like I just described it from a textbook standpoint and you guys said, yep, that's how it works in real life. It's how it's worked in our laboratory. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's how the teamwork works a lot of times as well. You know, when I think about the parents who you and I just have bumped into in the last week, who said, oh, I could never, I can never do that. It was too messy, too slow. And uh, I, I get to hear great stories from our members. And I can think of a couple of times where people would report, you know, they would share their story in our, in our VIP group. And they would say, gosh, I came home. I was just so tired. I did not want to make dinner. And uh, one in particular, she had older boys who were 13 and 16. And she said, boys, 
I just don't know what to make. Like, can we, do you think we can do something together? And she reported that in 30 minutes together, the three of them had made like some sort of, you know, meat and pasta casserole and a side veggie and a cake. Like, a cake in 30 minutes like who gets a bonus cake out of the deal that's right. pretty amazing so and and she probably was more energized at the end of that process I would guess than at the beginning and the boys are feeling like wow we you know we can help mom it's like the anti-entitlement gift in reverse you know from from kids yeah. to adults and similar situation younger kids when mom you know was just pressed for time she knew exactly when her husband would be home and she had the plan the plan was good but the timing was not so good and she grabbed her right. girls they were like four six and ten she said, girls, I think we can get dinner ready by the time dad gets home, but only if we all pitch in, yeah. right? So one of them is unloading the dishwasher. One of them is cutting the raw veggies for the dip. You know, one of them is cooking at the stove and then she could kind of manage all of them. And the girls were so proud. They, you know, they feel so good about that teamwork effort. When dad comes in, they're just, oh, no, 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 dad, I did this and I did that. I did this. And he's kind of like, oh, <laughs> what did I, this is amazing. What did I walk into? And so it really, the the means or the end is worth, is very worth the means. And it doesn't take long to get to that success. It's not like you have to get 37 steps in before your kids build confidence, before they can make a little, a small, you know, simple recipe for you. That's mm. awesome. So great. Okay. This has been amazing. I, I, I would love to dive like deep into the yes. picky eater side. Uh, I'd love to dive deep into the actual techniques and stuff. But I know you've got a lot of this in your course in the classes. So before we go there, I, I just wonder if there's, is there something that you would have loved to ask us to ask you or something that you would love to just share or talk about that I didn't get to? I just wanted to give you a minute to like, go like, oh, you know what? You should have talked about this knucklehead. Um, <laughs> well, I probably wouldn't name call. <laughs> Okay, that's pretty okay. good. Okay, good. All right, thanks. <laughs> let's um, I mean, let's end with with imagining that end in mind. I guess yeah. you know, I talked about starting my own blog way back in two thousand nine, and one of the things I did, I did have a Monday mission, one new technique every week, but I also had what I called a mental mission mm. because I saw in myself, and I figured that other broken human beings were probably similar, that you can't even always take one step. Like even one step is too too soon. Sometimes it takes a couple days just to get your mind wrapped around it in the right place. And so I think that's really important for parents to accept as well, right? As much as we do want to raise our expectations, both for our kids and for ourselves, we, we, we also need to give a lot of grace in the baby steps, including sort of those, those mental attitudes. So, you know, when you're finished with this podcast, just think about it for a couple of days. Just imagine what life might be like a year from now or what life might be like when your kids are in later high school and really have these competencies and, and this confidence. Um, and even though we want to we imagine the results, we only want to require or create a plan for the action. So I say yeah. require the action, not the results. So, you yeah. know, weight loss analogy, right? We don't want to say, I'm going to lose 30 pounds. But you can say every single day, I'm going to walk 10 minutes, right? Like right. that is an actual goal. That is an action that you can take. So you can say, I'm going to teach one of my kids one skill a week or something. It's something very tangible, very doable. And, and don't, you know, allow yourself to really think about that and get in the right mindset. Expect some awesome results, but only require the actions. Baby steps and grace in those baby steps. That's me. Oh, I love it. So, so Katie, great. thank you so much. And I love. 
you know, that, that sense of grace for our children too. I mean, they're not going to do the recipes right, quote unquote, <laughs> every time, especially in the beginning. But it will be something in their confidence, their creativity, their, you know, their, their, their connection, their ability to do it will all go up. So thank you so much for sharing all this with us. Now, um, I would love, I mean, you, you talked about going to the site and getting uh, the knife skills. Where else can people jump into your world? Because I would love, I, I just want to get on the bandwagon with you, Katie, and run around and have every family in the world cooking together. So how do we, how do we, how do we do that? Where do we send people to? All the exclamation points, Joshua. I love it. <laughs> for, for sure, start with knife skills again at kidscookrealfood.com slash happy family club. And, and we'll make sure that's your affiliate link so that it's a win-win for both of us. Um, anything about kids cooking is at kidscookrealfood.com or kidscookrealfood on Instagram. I, I try, I'm not a huge social media fan, but I try to get stuff out there of what our kids are actually doing. Um, I was just thinking, in fact, that my kids now, <laughs> yes, they didn't start out so great, but some of them are better at certain parts of cooking than me. My daughter has gotten really good at baking and frosting cakes. And um, we just celebrated a ninth birthday. And so I did the cake for the first time in a while. Yeah. She was just stressed. And um, I'm I'm trying to frost this cake and she kept coming up behind me and like sort of laughing. <laughs> she was sort of <laughs> chuckling at like how poorly I was doing. And I'm like, I'm putting so much love into this cake covered with bugs, girl. And she's yeah, like, oh, like, mom, I know. Do you want any of my supplies to frost that? I'm like, no, I will use my no. old-fashioned supplies. But she's way better than me at frosting cakes. My 12-year-old is already better than me at time management, like starting the meal and actually having it on time because that's a huge yeah. weakness for me. So it's it's amazing when your kids get better than you. That's what I, I try to share, I guess, on, uh, on Instagram. And then if you are looking for family-friendly recipes for that whole idea of like, what the heck is healthy and what's not? And how do I how do I do this as an adult? That's at kitchenstewardship.com. Kitchenstewardship.com. Okay. Beautiful. Okay. Excellent. Well, for everyone listening to this, I'm going to give lots of exclamation points. I just cannot stress enough what a blessing it has been for our family in all the chaos and all the craziness and all the things that go along with having a large family like we do. I cannot stress enough how powerful it's been to teach them how to cook and to be with them in the kitchen and to serve each other in that way. And the thing about it is, is Margie and I were just stumbling our way through this. I mean, we're like, we're trying to, we're trying to figure this out because we didn't know, but you don't have to, you have in your hands right now, this opportunity to learn from Katie who has in ways I would never even imagine quantified, simplified and organized the process of teaching children how to cook safely and effectively and healthily and to have all these other social economic mental emotional benefits from it and i'm just telling you guys i i just strongly 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 encourage you to go and get the course go through it and teach your children this it'll it'll pay off in massive spades we we see this every day in our family and we believe you can too so if you're looking to have more family happiness and more confidence and happiness in your children and in yourself. I'm, I literally think this is a massive, way, way, way overlooked key to that whole process. I mean, I think we think about hiring parenting coaches and, and spending a bunch of money on classes. And, and usually what we do is we just delve down into the realm of depression and frustration and hopelessness, right? It's like, I don't know what to do. It's like, look, look, it's really simple. This is high leverage. Go into the kitchen, 
teach your kid how to measure out a teaspoon of salt. Like, okay, now we're on our way. You're going to be so much happier. So, Katie, thank you for opening our eyes and thank you for quantifying this process for the world. It's just what a gift. So, you're amazing. We really appreciate you. Appreciate what you're doing for families out there. So, thank you very much. Yep. Aw, I'm blushing. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> awesome okay joining us. thank you for joining us and we can't wait uh, hopefully we i, I i'm going to beg you to do another session at some point we're going to dive deeper in other questions <laughs> i didn't get to so thank you again for your time appreciate it okay bye Take now care. bye bye guys